And before we get to the text this morning, I just want to give a little background um, on where we are and just kind of set the, set the table for what we're about to dig into in Leviticus. So if you've ever tried to build anything, I don't know, some people I know are really handy in our church, and some like me are really not. And so regardless of where you are on that spectrum, we've all tried to build stuff, um, whether it be a model airplane, a new bookshelf, or a couch, a table and chairs, or even a house, or rooms in a house, right? So, and the most important thing you can do when you're endeavoring to do that stuff, whatever it is, is to, before you get started, to look at the instruction manual, to look at the blueprints, to look at um, the, the map that's going to point you where you're going. And those instructions are going to direct you in the best, most desired way to reach the end goal, right? So if you don't do what the instruction manual says, the chances are very, very good that you're not going to get the results that you're after, right? That model airplane is not going to materialize. Your bookcase won't be able to hold any books, and your house won't get built properly if it gets built at all. And so in every situation, no matter big or small, every detail matters, right? Attention to the details matters a great deal. But these are difficult things, right? We don't like details. We're, we like quick fixes, quick answers. We don't like to dig into the trenches and, and figure out what things mean and take the time to do that a, a lot of the time. We can sometimes see those things as irrelevant. Like, what do these details have to do with me? Why should I care about that? Um, especially when we come to a passage like today. Leviticus 16, right, in the Old Testament, full of rituals and instructions for God's people, for priests. Um, in our reading of Scripture, we can, we can do the same thing with these details. We can wonder, what does this passage have to do with me? Why, why should I care about it at all? But we have to remember that we are not the focus of the passage today or any passage that's, that's in Scripture. Uh, perhaps a better question for us is that to be concerned with Christ and his glory, what we should be asking instead is, what does this passage have to do with Jesus? Right? Because everything in scripture has to do with him, with his glory. Even a passage like Leviticus 16. And so let us approach that now with that in mind. Let, let that be our focus as we, we take the time um, to read through this together. Um, it, it's something you need to pay attention to closely as we read. Right? There's a lot here. It can be confusing, and that's okay. But I just want us to approach it in a way of, of not kind of checking out mentally, but really checking in to just see, what does this text have to do with who Jesus is as our priest? And that's going to be what we're looking at. So if you haven't already done that, please uh, turn to Leviticus 16. That's going to be on pages 95 and 96 if you have the, the Pew Bibles. So I'll give you a second to turn there. And let's, let's just pray before we, we approach God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to um, study your word, to hear from your word, because that is us hearing from you. And, and we pray that you would speak clearly to us this morning. We need your wisdom. We need um, your knowledge to, to come into us and teach us. These are, these are hard things that can be really challenging to understand, especially in our, in our context. And so God, help us to understand your word. Help us to understand how it's not only relevant to who you are, but it's relevant to our lives as followers of you, as believers. And so as we open this up now, Lord, just fill us with your spirit, give us the attentiveness we need, and give us a deep love for you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Leviticus 16, 
we're going to read the whole, the whole chapter, so stay with me as we do that. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarments on his body and shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself in a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place 
and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put out on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is the Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is the statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this, this book, Leviticus, and this chapter of this book that we're looking at this morning, this isn't what you would call easy reading, right? It's not even easy listening sometimes. Um, the Talmud, which is one of the central texts of Judaism, refers to Leviticus as the law of the priest, right? It's, there is a lot of legal language used, right? There are a lot of details. If any of you have gone to law school or know someone who has, you'll know that a lot of their textbooks and a lot of the things that they occupy their time with involve heavy language, full of detail. Um, there's, there's no sentence that doesn't mean something or have some type of significance, right? Um, but you might be sitting here and, and coming to the realization quickly that you're not a priest, right? And I'm not a priest. And so we go back to that question of why does this matter for us? Why does this, this legal type text matter for us? But one of the things I found helpful in studying this week and preparing to preach was that many scholars that I looked at in commentaries and many church leaders, when they talk about Leviticus, they don't talk about it like that. They don't, they don't ask these questions of, you know, how is this relevant for God's people? Instead, they call it one of the foundational books for our understanding of the need for salvation and for the manner in which that salvation comes to us as sinful people. And so this is a significant book for us. This, even though we might not understand everything that's here, this is significant for us. We need to know what Leviticus says. And that's why God's preserved it in the Old Testament for us. That's why it's still part of the biblical canon. And that's why we can read it right now. And so this is why a passage like today, as part of our summer series, as we look at Jesus as our prophet and our priest and our king, um, matters, right? This passage has something to do with that, as Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king, as Jesus as our whole, complete redeemer. This, this passage can tell us a little bit more about, about why why that matters, and can detail for us more the depth of, of who Jesus is. And so 
as part of better understanding the reality of that, of Jesus as our priest, we really need to get a grasp on what the Bible says the work of a priest actually is. Right? We need to kind of go back to a part of the job description of, of priests. All right? And we're not going to look at all of that in detail, obviously. We're not going to be here for weeks on end. We just have a very short time. Um, and so through Leviticus 16, let's look at that. What, what is the role of a priest? What is the role of Aaron as it pertains to this passage? And how does that relate to Jesus? And so the more I'm talking, hopefully you're understanding that this is why we can't gloss over passages like this, right? As tempting as it, it can be for us sometimes, um, these details matter. They matter not just for our knowledge, but they matter for our soul. They matter for us and our deeper understanding of our Lord. And, and that's why we want to take time and, and look at it. And this is, this is a need that we can neglect, the need that we see in this passage is a need for help outside of ourselves, right? The people who God has said are to be holy because he is holy earlier in Leviticus, they're not always holy, right? And us as God's people today in New Testament life, like under the new covenant, we're, we're not always holy. We're not always obedient to God. We don't always do what God has commanded. And we can't on our own. And I think that's a lot of the point of looking at the priests because these are the people who come alongside Israel, in this case, and, and help them. They help present them blameless before the Lord. And that blameless state of Israel is important because if, if they're unclean, if they're unholy, a lot of people talk about the book of Leviticus as the book of holiness, the book of cleanness, and it's not talking about physical cleanness, right? It's not talking about getting dirty outside somewhere, right? It's talking about the uncleanness in us, the uncleanness in our hearts, the sin that can take up so much of who we are and what we do. That's what Leviticus is, is addressing here. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see how God cares about the spiritual state of his people, right? He tells Israel, you must be holy because I'm holy. His standard is perfection. His standard is complete cleanness of our heart and our soul. Right? And we can't get there on our own. And the people of Israel couldn't get there on our own, and, and they knew that. And so this is why the Levitical priesthood, right, they followed these specific instructions of the Lord um, to bring the people closer to God, to reconcile them to him. And we see that especially in our passage today. And so we can, in our current context, we can neglect our need for help outside ourselves, right? Even as Christians, even as people who know better, we can neglect the reality that we need help to be brought near to God. We can try to do that on our own a lot. I think especially in our Midwestern context, right? We're hard workers. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we get things done, right? And we often bring that mentality into our spiritual life, right? We're like, if I could just read my Bible more, if I could just pray better, if I could just focus um, on Jesus in, in more detail in my daily life, then I would be closer to him. And, and feel closer to him and be able to be the person he's made me to be. And while doing those things often have that result, right? They make us more like Jesus. We can't get there on our own. And so I think that's one of the things I really, I, wanna, I want us to see this morning is we need help outside ourselves to be brought near to God, to grow in godliness. And it, even though we know that, we don't always do it, right? Even though we know that, we try to come to him on our own terms, but the Lord has shown us clearly that we're not meant to do that. We're not even able to go it alone. You're not meant to be a Christian alone. That's why we're part of a church. 
because we're not individual believers out there in the world who don't need anyone else, right? We need each other. We need the people in our congregation. You need elders and shepherds. We need other networks of churches and denominations, all to help us grow as we pursue Christ in our lives. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things from this passage that they're going to flesh this out a little more for us, that are going to examine why the actions of the high priest matter. So we're going to see that through the work of the high priest, the people of God received three things. So they received the blessing of instruction, they received the blessing of mercy, and they received the blessing of God himself. So the blessing of instruction, the blessing of mercy, and the blessing of God himself. God's people see that through the work of the high priest. And so let's look at the first point together. Through the work of the high priest, the people of God receive the blessing of instruction. So as I mentioned earlier, instructions are not always things that we like or we want or we even understand. Our culture is so consumed with individualism and that drives everything that we do, right? We're, we're concerned with living a life unrestrained, right? We're not bogged down by details. We make our own details in the 21st century, right? Our individualism, that, that's all the mantra of our world outside of Christ is, is doing whatever it is that we might want to do without any form of accountability, without any guidelines, without any parameters or anything that's burdensome. But as we can see here in Leviticus, instruction is a blessing for the people of God. In 16 verse 1, the passage opens with the mention that the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. So you might kind of off the bat be wondering what this is talking about and what, what you missed as we jumped into this chapter. But this is a reference to Leviticus 10, back in verses 1 through 3 of that chapter, when the two oldest sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, were instantly consumed by the fire of the Lord when they brought an unauthorized offering before him. Right? They had not done as the Lord had commanded. They, they did not follow the Lord's instructions, even if it might have been well-meaning, right? And they experienced the painful consequences of that. And so as we look at the, this chapter and all its depth and all its detail, it's clear that the extremely specific instructions given to us by the Lord, whether here or anywhere else in Scripture, those things are meant for our good. And in Leviticus 16, they're meant for the good of both the priest and the people. Doing what God has said to do and what he's commanded, that's always going to be for our benefit, right? It's always going to ultimately lead to the right worship of God, which is what God is concerned about in Leviticus, right? He's concerned that his people worship him the right way. They can't come to him on their own terms. They can't make sacrifices or offerings that he has not told them to make the way he has told them to make it. Do you see kind of how this relates to maybe our life, even, even now, right? Living in, under God's rule, under his authority, under what he has said. That's true for us. Look, there's blessing in that for our life today. So the Lord tells Moses in verses two through three of this chapter, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that's on the ark so that he may not die. And you also might be wondering what he's talking about here, right? And so kind of the context for where the people of Israel are is these are the wilderness wanderings of Israel, right? Israel is not in the promised land. They're 
pitching tents. They are making their way towards the land God has promised them. And so instead of a temple, you know, built of stone, like you see later in the Old Testament, the beautiful temple of Solomon, for instance, you have a tent here where the Lord is dwelling amongst his people as they're in the wilderness, as they're on their way to the land he's promised. And since the Lord is in a specific part of the tent, not just everyone or anyone can come into that part of the tent because they're going to die if they do that. And so right off, the Lord is telling Moses, who is Aaron's brother, remember, tell your brother he can't just, he can't just come in and approach me. But then he says this, but in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place. And so while he lays out some restrictions, the bulk of this chapter is saying what Aaron as the high priest can do and should do, right? It's not all these, all these negative instructions or restraints, right? The Lord doesn't want Aaron to die. So he's like, because I don't want you to die, here are the specific ways to approach me as, as the Lord, as the God that I am. And so that's how this unfolds. This, this is where Israel is. And I think that's important for us as we move forward. And so the purpose behind all these details, and we're not going to go back and look through every one, right? But there's many, many details here. But the, the purpose behind them is blessing and life, right? What God has said will always lead to blessing and life for his people. God is saying, you can't approach me however you want. You must approach me in the way that I lay out. I think there's some applications for us even as Christians today in a super individualistic culture, right? A lot of people aren't going to church. And this, this isn't a new development. It's not a post-COVID reality so much as it's been a reality for a long time, right? Even people who would profess Christ aren't joined to a local body of believers. And, and that's a problem because we see in scripture a, a body of people. We see a collection of people together worshiping and following God together. We see evidence for a church, right? Not for individual people. And I think the wilderness wanderings of Israel are helpful because you don't see just individual Israelites wandering through the wilderness hoping they'll get to the promised land, right? They're following a group. They're following their leaders. They're going together where God has said to go. And, and the same is true for us. That's what we're doing right now as part of, of the church, right? We're, we're on our way to the new heavens and the new earth together, and we don't, we don't get to set the terms for what that looks like, right? Our God has already done that. And so let's follow him and his, his good instruction for our lives so that we would experience blessing in life, but also so that God would get the glory that he deserves, right? Because this chapter isn't just about the people. It's, it's about the right worship of God. And that, and that should be our aim. That should be what we're after as well, is the right, true worship of God so that he gets the greatest amount of glory possible from from us as Living Stone Church. <clears throat> so the entire book of Leviticus is a testament to the reality that we can't do whatever we want, right? As it focuses a lot on the holiness of the people of God. Verse by verse almost, you, you see language about unclean, about being holy, about iniquity, about sin. Um, and those things are just pointing out that the spiritual state of people um, is not the same as who God is and what he is like, right? It's going back to Leviticus eleven forty four. This is when the Lord says, for I am the Lord, your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. If you want to live in covenant community with God himself, with the Lord, then he's the one who tells you how to do that. He tells us how to do that now. 
And this is a, a really a great conflict, right? This has been the problem all along from Genesis to Revelation and in our, our lives almost every day as we battle and dwelling sin. God has said one thing and we, we really want to do something else. Or even if we don't want to do something else, we want to do what God says with the twist sometimes. But it's so important for us as people who confess Christ and who love Christ to do everything that Christ has said, to do everything that God has laid out in his word the way he's laid out to do it because he has our, our good in mind and his ultimate glory in mind. God's people are to be set apart. And so in Leviticus 16, you see that the chief priest is embodying this requirement to be holy, to be set apart. Aaron has to do a lot of things to prepare to even make these sacrifices before the Lord, right? And verse 4, the Lord says, He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments, right? So the, the chief priest, the high priest is set apart in his appearance. But he shall, he shall also, before he even puts on those, those clothes, he shall bathe his body in water and put, and put those clothes on. And then after he goes and makes the sacrifice, later in the chapter, you'll notice that he takes those clothes off. He puts on his everyday clothes again, right? Because these were the clothes specifically set apart and holy for approaching the Lord. <clears throat> And so in verse 6, his own sins have to be atoned for, right? He himself, even after he's done all that and, and is clearly, as you look at him, set apart, he has to go and atone for his own sins. He has to be holy himself before he approaches the Lord. He has to be made clean. And so God's people are to be pure. And these instructions that, that we look through here are visible symbols of the utter cleanness of heart that's required for them and for the priest who has been granted the most intimate access to the Lord behind the veil. And, and these things, while they, while they are just details and may seem not super relevant, right? These should have some extremely um, clear connections in our lives as Christians say, right? We're to be holy to the point that there's no sin in us, right? That's, that's the standard. This is what God has said, right? So let's, let's think about that for a minute. Can we confess enough sin? To do that on our own? And of course the answer is no. We need someone to, do, to help us with that, to, to do that for us, right? We can't be made holy on our own. And so following the guidelines laid out by the Lord completely, and not just part of the way, right? Because if, if Aaron is to do any of these things other than the exact way God has said, it's going to lead to death, right? And it's not going to lead to atonement for sin and to cleansing for God's people. It's not going to lead to their reconciliation to God. So following these guidelines completely is the only way for the high priest to enter God's presence and to carry out his work. Are you trying to get close to the Lord on your own terms? Maybe you're doing everything imaginable, like we talked about a few minutes ago, and your strength to grow spiritually. Maybe you're doing it, like you're excited, like you're part of every Bible study. You're reading your Bible all the time and you're, you're just doing all the things, right, that, that we can tend to do. Um, or is, that, is that you? Does that characterize your life? Right? Maybe you're doing them out of good motives. Like maybe you, you are really wanting to grow spiritually. You really do want to fight the sin in your heart. You really do want to love your neighbor. But maybe you're going it alone. And so I hope this passage is an encouragement 
as overwhelming as I know it can seem, let it be an encouragement to you that you're not made for that. You're not made to go alone. You can't succeed in, in growing spiritually. You can't succeed in fighting the sin in your heart. You can't succeed in loving your neighbor unless you do it in the way that God has designed, right, as part of a community. And so the work of the high priest within the framework designed by God should be an encouragement to all of us, right, that everything God has instructed us to do, not just in Leviticus, but throughout Scripture, everything he's instructed us to do, even those really hard things, right, laying our life down, denying ourselves, right, any, anything he said should be an encouragement to us and how we are to live, because this is for our good. God, God wants us to experience fullness of life in him, not fullness of life however we define it. Right? He, he sets the standard. And so let's not resist his good and his perfect ways. Right? Let's, let's welcome his instruction in our lives. So this brings us to point number two. Through the work of the high priest, the people of God receive the blessing of mercy. The scene being described by Moses is a really fascinating scene, right? There's a lot going on here, and it's hard for us to even wrap our head around what this looks like. By following the instructions that God has laid out, the part of the most holy place, right, the most holy part of the tent, the section of the tent behind the veil where no one is but the Lord, where he is situated above the mercy seat, covered in smoke, right, this is and following his instructions, Aaron is preserving his life. Right? In verses 12 and 13, we see how he's told to prepare incense and burn it before the Lord so there's smoke that obscures his view so that he can't see the Lord, but he can still be there with the Lord right? to preserve his own life. And it's the work of Aaron, the high priest, and his obedience that's bringing about reconciliation between God and his people. And so that's going back again to that idea that, like, the people of Israel, they couldn't do this on their own. They couldn't obey God and be reconciled to God on their own. They needed the priesthood. They needed Aaron. And we need Christ for that. And as I was reading this, it kind of made me think of just situations in college or high school. I don't know if you guys had this happen to you, but maybe everyone in your class did really bad on an algebra exam or a chemistry exam or something, except this one guy in the corner who like scored a really high score and he kind of brought the average up for everyone else. And so then the, the teacher, the professor didn't grade you as harshly because of what they did and how well they did. That kind of makes me think of the work of the, of the chief priest here, right? He's doing all this work alone behind the veil, but the benefit of his work is for everybody. It's for the people outside the tent, outside the veil. <clears throat> and so it's, it's really important as, as we continue to look at this, that there's a twofold nature to God's mercy that we're seeing here. So God's people aren't doing it, right? The priest is doing it for God's people. But what is he doing? I think that's an important question. Like, what's the substance of the work that Aaron or that the high priest is doing in these, these verses? So I think it's, it's twofold. So God is showing his people that in, in these instructions, that both the forgiveness of sin and the transfer of guilt is something that's happening, right? So there's forgiveness, there's atonement, right? There's being brought near to God. And there's also a transfer of guilt so that the people still don't possess the guilt of their sin. In verses 20 and 22, if you'll look at those briefly, the high priest does this. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, 
he shall present the live goat. So this is probably the part, if you know anything about Leviticus 16, you've heard this the most, the scapegoat, right? The, the goat who gets the guilt of the people. And so he presents the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So the iniquity of the people is literally, literally taken outside the camp, right? It's not where God's people are anymore. It's not where God is anymore, right? Because God is holy completely, and there can't even be the hint of, of sin, of uncleanness in the vicinity of where he is, right? And so it's sent completely away. And that's important for us to, to note and to, to just kind of think through here for a minute. So the unclean cannot dwell with the clean, right? Like oil never really mixes with water. And there's so much that we could say about just that, just this passage of the chapter. Um, but, but we don't have, to have time to say all, all those things. But this scapegoat, right? This, this live goat who is spared at the beginning only to take away the people's sin, right? let the reality of, of that moment really sink into our, our heart this morning, sink into your heart this morning. So they, their sins have been atoned for, and then it doesn't stop there, right? The Lord is still working through his priests to remove the guilt of the people. He removes their sin and their guilt. And I think Horatio Spofford in the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, if you know that one, it's, it's, it's a great a great hymn of truth, right? He, he puts kind of this idea to paper, and the church sings it a lot, right? He says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul, right? And so the people of Israel didn't do it. They didn't cleanse themselves of their own sin. They didn't remove their own guilt. You and I don't do that. It was done for us. And this is truly amazing, right? This is, this is what Christ has done. And if you're a believer, this is who you are in Christ. You're receiving his mercy. You have received it and you are receiving it, right? You're made clean. You're holy. You're set apart because of Christ. Like, this is your identity. And, and I hope we can take from here, we can continue to think about that, that this is who we are in Christ, right? completely forgiven, guilt completely removed, because we live in a world and in a time that heaps the guilt on us, right, and heaps the condemnation on us, and we need to, to come back to this truth, right, that we are in Christ, we are who God says we, we are, right, and this is, who, this is who we are, we're clean, we're forgiven, we're loved by him, we've received the blessing of his mercy, and so this brings us to our final point. So the people receive the blessing of instruction. They receive the blessing of mercy through the high priest. But also through him, the people of God receive the blessing of God himself. Leviticus 16 details the institution of an important day for the people of God, right? the day of atonement. That's, that's the passage heading right above the beginning of the chapter. And then verses 29 through 31, the Lord says this. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month of the tenth day of the month you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. 
You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It's a statute forever, right? The Lord is hammering home the point that this is an important day, and you must observe it as my people. But don't miss what verse 30 says. This is kind of getting at the crux of this this whole passage, like what all these details, all these instructions, what they're about. It says, you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Right, this issue of holiness, this issue that is so hard to attain, right, for Israel then and for us now, it's been attained through the work of the high priests, right? For Israel, this meant that they could continue living in covenant community with their God. Their cleanness, the holiness that was required of them to enjoy God's presence as they journeyed towards the promised land, that was secured because of the work of the priests, right? The work of the priests helps them be clean before the Lord from all their sins. And this is, this is the point of atonement, right? What it is to bring together, to make one, to reconcile. If you're a Christian through the work of our high priest, Jesus, our merciful God has not only forgiven you of your sin, but you don't bear your sin anymore. Hallelujah for that. He's removed your sin. He's removed your shame and your guilt. Right? And, and all of this he has done so that you could live in covenant community with him. You can enjoy a relationship with him. Right? And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. We're, we're glad that in God's providence he brought you on the day when we talked through Old Testament law. <laughs> um, because as we reflect on God's mercy to sinners like us, this is kind of at the center of it. Right? Just as one man, Aaron, did the atoning work on behalf of the people of Israel, and as the priest who would follow him would do, so the Son of God has done this. So Jesus has done this. He's completed the atoning work needed to satisfy God's wrath once and for all through the sacrifice of himself on the cross, through the spilling of his own blood, spilled once, right, for our forgiveness and our restoration. So if you're not a Christian, put your hope in him today. Put your hope in that. This is, this is our only hope in life or in death, is to cling to that atoning work of Christ. And so while we can neglect our need for something or someone outside ourselves to bring us near to God, we have to remember, we have to come back to the truth that we're not meant to walk this walk alone, right? Leviticus 16 highlights for us the simplicity of our need for God in so many ways. And that need for God is great. It's, it's simple, it's a simple fact, but it's a great, weighty, has great and weighty implications. We need God. We need help. We need to be made right with him. <clears throat> and through the specificity we see in this chapter, we see that while our need is great, we also see that we need someone to help us to meet that need, right? We need someone to help meet that requirement on our behalf so that we can enjoy holiness in our life so we can enjoy communion with the Lord. And we have that, we have that someone in the person of our high priest, Jesus Christ. He said that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me in John 14, 6. Right? He has said there's a new, there was an old covenant and now there's a new covenant. I've instituted a new covenant. And there are different ways to know God now. There's a different way to approach him. And you can't do it on your own terms. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. These are the terms. 
for us. And they're terms that don't change. But they're terms that are meant for our good. They're meant for our blessing. Right? Through Jesus' work as our high priest, we as the people of God receive the blessing of instruction. Right? We, we receive guidelines for how to live our lives, not to restrain us, but so that we'll flourish as who God has created us to be. We receive the blessing of mercy. Mercy that, that covers our sin, right? That removes our guilt. And we also receive the blessing of God himself. We receive in Christ the blessing of knowing God, walking with God, growing closer to him as we sojourn through this life. And a lot of what we're doing in our summer, summer series here is pointing to this fall when we start the book of Hebrews. And so I wanted to read just a few brief verses in Hebrews 9, starting in verse 24, that really summarize a lot of what we just talked about with the Day of Atonement. It's beautifully put. So Hebrews 9, starting in verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And this is our hope, right? Just like the people of Israel who are living in those tents, who are sojourning with each other and with the presence of the Lord towards the land he'd promised them, this is our hope as we're sojourning ourselves towards an even greater land that he has promised us. Christ, right? Follow Christ. Saturate your life with the people of God. Grow with other people. You need other people to do this. And so as we are pilgrims living in exile, which I know we've talked a lot about over the past year or so, help us to remember that the Lord will help us to remember that we desperately need his presence and his guidance to accompany us. Like we can't live this life in hopes of the next without him at the center of all we do and all we are. And so we must remember that. And as we get ready in the next few, few minutes to take part in the Lord's Supper, that, that's one way that we're, we're doing this, right? In the next several minutes, we're going to receive spiritual nourishment for our souls. We're going we're gonna to get a little more sustenance, a little more of the presence of the Lord to give us the grace we need to enter into the rest of this afternoon, the rest of this week, right? So that we can be reminded that we're God's people. And not just that we're his people, but that he's our God. He's made himself accessible to us through the work of his son. So pray with me now. Lord, we thank you for the Day of Atonement. We thank you for the work of the high priest that we can read through in the Old Testament. And we thank you that all of that points to the work of your son Christ. We thank you for his work and the com complete and utter success of his work to bring us to you, God. Help us as your people to live in a way that reflects that truth, to live in a way that reflects we belong to you and that you dwell in us and with us. And I pray that that would change everything about how we live our lives. As we come to the Lord's table, help us to focus on that reality that you, you've come down and you dwell with us. 
you're inside your people, leading us and guiding us, helping us to love you and love each other. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.